everyone, and welcome to Public Work, the public humanities podcast coming out of the John Nicholas Brown Center for Public Communities and Cultural Heritage at Brown University. I'm Amelia Golchowski. And I'm John Nicholas Brown. Just kidding. I'm Jim McGrath. This guy. Uh, Jim, who are we hearing from this week? We're hearing from Maggie and Mika, uh, who are the curators slash organizers of one of the Gallery Lab events that we're running at the John Nicholas Brown Center for Public Humanities and Cultural Heritage. Their event slash exhibition um, slash still life session, so they do a few different things, uh, is all around bad art um, in all caps. Uh, and so lots of different explorations of bad art that we will get into. One of the things that we learn in this episode is that Amelia is really into Enya. It's Me- true. And uh, so, so that um, that's a thing. Amelia, do you want to say a little bit more about Enya and Enya and you, Enya and Amelia, the new Enya podcast? Enya and Amelia, the new podcast coming out of Brown University. <laughs> um, yeah, I was really shocked to learn in our conversation that um, Enya is not considered great art. And I don't know. I grew up in the '90s. There was a lot of Enya playing in my parents' house. I go to a lot of yoga studios. Enya is featured prominently. I don't know, some Orinoco flow. It ain't bad. In fact, I argue it's quite good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many people are receptive to the arguments that are being made there. I, apparently some are. But, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that we get into in this episode and um, that Maggie and Mika are so interested in is the sort of ideas of informing our perception of bad art, our ideas of aesthetics, where we learn these things, where we unlearn them, where public reception might deviate from personal matters of taste and things like that. Um, on the sort of music-related note, uh, I have a very complicated relationship with Billy Joel, uh, who is the piano man, for those of you who don't know. Um, but growing up in New York City and uh, listening to Billy Joel all over the airwaves made me not really appreciate that, but I've, I've come to appreciate Billy Joel in my in my years, and, and I think some of that gets into the, the sort of good art, bad art, and living double and living in between uh, sorts of things. So I don't know if Billy Joel is my Enya. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, what's so cool about this conversation is there's no such thing as uh, bad art or good art, right? Right? Sure. And he's great art. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you, if you take one thing away from this episode, it's that any is great art. Um, and that anyone who says otherwise is lying. Uh, Maggie and Mika have other things to say. Uh, it's not all Enya. All Enya all the time. Even into the Enya. Extreme Enya. I'm trying to think of other names for. This is our spin off podcast spin-off series podcast, yeah. about Enya. Every intro ends, ends with us talking about the podcast that we should be recording. Um, so clearly. We should get into Enya. Um, I don't think anyone's done it before. I know. I Gimlet Media, hire us. Yeah, Gimlet. Uh, she she was on the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, mm-hmm. which is, you know, if you go into a house that's playing the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, you know you're in a cool place. Um, Do you? Do you? Do you? <laughs> but uh, and apologies to, to our Lord of the Rings, our LOTR fans out there who uh, appreciate all of the many different facets of the 8,000 Lord of the Rings 
objects you can click here can see. I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. Um, this podcast is an example of bad podcast. <laughs> this is bad art. We're making, we're practicing what we preach. It's true. <laughs> Bringing it all back together. Yeah. Um, basically, all these intros are, are challenges that we issue to our listeners to see if they actually get to the interesting interviews um, that we have been so lucky to be a part of or to be curating on this podcast. It's true. So with that in mind, let's get out of the way and let you and your ears get into bad art. So if you want more information about what's going on in all things public work, good art, bad art, ugly art, you can find us on Twitter at Public Work Pod, or you can email us at publicworkpodcast at gmail.com. Great. See you guys next week for another edition of Amelia and Inya and Billy Joel and Jim. Okay. <laughs> that made no sense. Okay, bye. Adios. Hi, we're here on Public Work, and we are talking to the curators behind Bad Art, which was part of the Gallery Lab series of exhibitions at the John Nichols Brown Center for Public Humanities and Cultural Heritage. My name is Jim McGrath, still my name, and I am here with Maggie Unverzat Goddard. Say hi, Maggie. Hi. <laughs> and Nika Matsuno. Hi. Cool. Uh, thanks so much for, for being here. So um, to start with some initial context and our first question, um, the, the description of Bad Art, the exhibit, um, on Brown's website says, Bad Art features artist-identified bad art a life drawing class with dogs, and an exhibition where visitors will be encouraged to observe through drawing and to sketch the installed work. Rather than moralizing our failures, bad art encourages us to linger in discomfort and make bad art together. So we will linger in discomfort for the next 20 to 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, hopefully not. So um, yeah, Maggie and Mika, tell us uh, where the idea for this exhibit come from. So uh, I was studying for my comprehensive exams, my dissertation. Um, nope. <laughs> studying for my comprehensive exams for my PhD. And I wanted to do something to turn my brain off. So I started doing life drawing classes. Um, and I quickly realized that I was the worst person in the room. Uh, my art was like creepy snake people, like <laughs> melting. I just drew a creepy snake person. Really? Um, I would love yeah. to see I'll, it. I'll put it in the show notes yes. if I get permission from the snake person. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I started uh, going to life drawing classes over the summer, um, and then when I came back to Providence, um, I was also continuing at AS220, and Nika and I work at the Writing Center together, and I started telling her about life drawing classes. Yeah. Um, and so we went to them together. <laughs> yeah, I'd done life drawing before too a while ago, and then Maggie told me that AS20 has it for Brown students, um, which is really awesome. And so we started going together last semester, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and it was yeah, I kind of felt similarly. It was it's a room full of like people who aren't necessarily professional artists but are just really amazing. Yeah, and. Um, and just like looking around, like looking around is almost more fun than drawing, honestly. Like <laughs> looking at my own stuff is sort of disheartening, but looking around was really exciting. And so I think we were talking about it, but then you came to me with the idea for the exhibition, which was really exciting and asked me if I wanted to join and I was really happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about my own sort of like moralization of my uh, badness and ineptitude at uh, life drawing. 
and um, started talking about this at the alumni um, conference that we had at uh, the UMBC, and um, kind of out of that, picked up this idea in the gallery lab to have some sort of exhibition, having no idea what this could look like, um, but Meek and I worked together to send out a call for submissions um, and get people to kind of share their bad art with us so that we could start putting this exhibit together. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we were both really excited about how um, receptive people were to the idea and also how eager they were to share with us. I wasn't really expecting a ton of submissions, Yeah. Um, especially because it was sort of a haphazard call, um, but loads of people responded, and I was like super excited about how um, enthusiastic they were to yeah. share with us. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting to bring up the, the context of kind of the break from academic work or, you know, just doing doing something different. So I, I guess and the and then getting this enthusiastic response mm-hmm. from from people at the Brown, you know, undergrad, graduate, various other communities. And so, staff, too. Yeah. And staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, is is there anything interesting about that? Like the fact that like you move off campus to talk mm-hmm. about bad art or, mm-hmm. or think about art in a different way and then you kind of bring it back into these spaces where people are talking about art all the time in American studies or in history and uh, public humanities. Um, but it's like what what what's not being talked about or not being done in those other spaces and what are you trying to do by bringing those sorts of interests into a space like the gallery lab? Mm. Thank, thank you. I think what I'm trying to remember who all was in the who participated in the show, mm-hmm. but I think that there was a significant contingent of people who were not in public humanities or mm-hmm. um, even in humanities at all. Um, we had some people from computer science that I yeah. don't remember specifically, and then like Matthew said, we had some staff people. Um, I don't know if you can remember any others, but there were people that I think just sort of saw it and were excited about it, and maybe it is that escape element that made them excited about it, but. Um, yeah, as, as something that they had done and done really for their own, like, I don't know, their own benefit, their own pleasure, separately from their sort of academic work, and then given this venue to display it and talk about it, were, like, sort of just, like, really happy to have an outlet for that they hadn't expected. Yeah, it was cool to see some people had, you know, childhood art that they brought back from home. Um, some people had made like art specifically for um, the the exhibit, which was really exciting to see. There was this collaborative that put together like they had a birthday card that they crossed out "Happy" in a like sad birthday, <laughs> um, and it was other sort of um, yeah, very uh, ironic kind of over the top bad art. Um, and then other people had attended you know like paint night classes. Um, one of my favorite pieces. Uh, moon and a boat um, and then an Oompa Loompa was taped onto the boat and so I think this sort of um, being able to kind of laugh at yourself um, and share that with people under the rubric of bad art was something that I was really excited about. Yeah it's, it's interesting how like bad art the it, it doesn't have a fixed meaning right yeah it becomes mm-hmm. this kind of invitation and, yeah. and, the, and the collaborative dimension of it is I think like one of the more exciting components like rather than a curator coming in and saying this is bad art right. <laughs> and, and people being sad about it or, or thrilled about it uh, or whatever. Um, and then so you talked a bit about the life drawing uh, inspiration for this. And then so tell us a little bit about how that worked its way into the programming. Yeah. So <laughs> we um, were interested in having a life drawing class and getting people together to draw, um, but without a naked person. And um, 
thinking about ways that like make people excited about it and people like dogs we learned <laughs> totally like dogs i think also what's great about the dogs is like since dogs aren't humans they are like on the move constantly and these dogs were on the move and that i think that was really fun in that it, i mean people kind of came i think they came with the expectation that there were no stakes you know it was bad art but i think that the fact that the dogs were moving and everyone was laughing and it, the dogs were leaving they were coming back they were um like rummaging through the chairs and stuff it was like it, if you had any expectation that you were going to have sort of like a very serious um portrait of a dog um that you had to abandon that pretty quickly um which i think contributed to a really nice atmosphere yeah, it was very com- – I mean, I went and, and drew a terrible picture of, of one of the dogs or an idea of one of the dogs when it, based on the, the sort of motion uh, running around and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting to think of it as kind of like a social space, right, uh, you know, and, and, and the conversations that come up uh, around around there too. So, I mean, did you for, – for both of you being in the, the more traditional um, – these spaces like did you find that even though this was kind of a recreational space that uh, set up at AS220 which we should note is a, a local um, organization here in Providence that um, does a lot of really cool uh, stuff like um, life art uh, programming were, were you sensing like pressures or or weird vibes in that room like the the desire to take it seriously to, to go through or, or are you sort of bringing the energy from that room into the uh, still life with dogs portion I mean, I think that life drawing still, I think it's a casual space. You're allowed to bring, like, a beer in and, like, eat food from the restaurant. Like, it's not that yeah, strict. Yeah, it's very chill. Yeah. It's, it's in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. People are definitely there to relax. But at the same time, I feel like you just get in this headspace that, like, I don't know, I feel, I feel like I'm taking a standardized test or something. And mm-hmm. that same kind of feeling of, like, something is yeah. wrong with me if I don't know the answer and I don't know how to draw hands so I always draw circles so like I always feel bad um and I think there's yeah. just some pressure that you put on yourself well I think you and I both left early last time just because <laughs> the like it uh, the way the life drawing class works is it starts with like really quick poses like 30 seconds and it progresses to like longest I think is like 40 minutes mm-hmm. very long um and I think we both agreed that we sort of liked the quick poses more and I, that's the exact same thing I liked with the dogs is that it's like you really just have to move really fast um even like with the with the people drawing like a minute feels long to me it's like I really do like those just like fast motion that feels like there's the pressure in some ways is is relieved I guess in mm-hmm. that because it's like you know everyone here only has 30 seconds like what can we do in 30 seconds and then when it gets to those like 40 minute poses I start to feel like oh my god I have nothing left to draw everyone yeah. else is still drawing what are they doing um <laughs> and so that I guess that's sort of where I liked that felt some sort of transfer is that the the fast moving pace of the dog art and the sort of like quick gestures um were really fun for me and I'm glad that that's what we kept from life drawing in yeah. the dog version and in, and keeping stuff from more traditional museum exhibit context, like what was it like making labels or sort of artistic statements mm-hmm. for this and how did that work in a similar way where you're kind of like having more fun with it or did it seem like you're like, oh, now we have to like do a materials inventory of the Oompa Loompa and the, <laughs> and the boat and things like that? Yeah, I think there was some fun tension that we were playing with. Um, the gallery space itself really looked like a white cube. Set up inside <laughs> the space. It was very uh, clean and stripped down, and um, kind of played with that element, um, the sort of seriousness of some more contemporary art spaces, I would say. 
and rent a house is a sort of like ridiculous yeah uh miss as well um but yeah I think that really allowed people to think critically about these different elements the law labels themselves were um some were overly pretentious in kind of a hilarious way um my favorite wall label I think was uh this dog drawing that um that one where there's like a guy with ease and then if you don't know what I'm talking about it sounds ridiculous but like you learn how to draw a dog through the story and this person learned how to do this dog drawing when they were 10 is this the one with the numbers like yes. it's like a man with no arms and he's chased by bees and then he jumps in the this is riveting podcast remembering it's stuff. great it's really great um and so the wall label just says made with marker with an exclamation point <laughs> So Amelia and I have been talking a bit about, you know, just where our ideas about bad art came from or how we learned, you know, just basically the concept of aesthetics and what's good, what's bad, what certain opinions um, are held and sort of are prominent and circulated or, or what sort of categories and criteria um, people come up with to, to evaluate good and bad art. So I think we were both interested in like early experiences with bad art or, le or learning like stuff stuff that we really liked was actually bad in certain contexts or or that we have you know you have permission to not like certain things that are established and sort of valued in, in certain contexts Amelia you want to say a little bit more about that yeah and I guess you know in a typical grad school fashion I'll just keep asking the questions so like where do we decide you know what is good art what is bad art and when does that start to change? Because I remember growing up, and you go to the Met, and you see, like, pictures of Jesus, and you're told, like, this is really good art. Uh, but I found it boring. And then a few years ago, I stood, and I looked at, like, a Rothko, and I was like, well, this is great art. So I guess I'm wondering, you know, how did you guys come to an idea of, like, what constitutes bad art and good art? And when did it start to change? Is it still evolving? The eternal struggle between Jesus and Mark Rothko. <laughs> Really it's interesting. Long-fingered Jesus's El Greco style and uh, Mark Rothko. Yeah. Um, I guess what I was thinking about when you were talking about sort of childhood and such is, um, I was, I mean, when I was younger, I was pretty into sort of just like, like very, very beautiful, very pretty things, and I think for me that was a lot of like symmetry and um, making sure things like were beyond symmetrical like I, there's like the one symmetrical where it's like it's folded but like you fold it all over and it's like almost like um kaleidoscopy um sort of levels of perfection uh like exactness maybe is a better word than perfection um and I think that that in my mind was what was good um was was almost like all these tiles in their place um exactly as they should be and um I guess I I'd like to think I'm I'm questioning that. I think though that I still maybe um, like subconsciously gravitate towards towards those types of images or those types of patterns. Um, and maybe that'll never go away. Maybe that's fine. But uh, I think that's sort of where where it sticks out in my mind. And I think when I was younger, thinking about frustrations about or in encounters with bad art, it was it was with myself and not being able to achieve that sort of mechanical level of of image or of perfect image mm. <laughs> um yeah i mean i think a lot about aesthetics um in the context of my own research um and i'm doing some work on um judy chicago's the dinner party right now um which um is a collection of like very like uh play 
shirts that look like vulvas that have the names of women historical and mythical written on them. Um, and so then that piece uh, first debuted, uh, David Kramer at the um, New York Times, the art critic there, actually described it as bad art um, and that it has this like overtly didactic message to it um, and thought that like anything that has this like political connotation is automatically bad and somehow like pure aesthetics exceeds the political. When in fact, like obviously that's not true. Like aesthetics is a deeply political project in which like Jesus is the pinnacle of our achievement, um, which like, yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge the ways that our own sort of worldviews condition and shape our aesthetic judgments um, and that like this is a thing that everyone experiences. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes me think about when I was younger, I, I read a lot of comic books and sort of recognizing artistic styles and then liking certain artists more, more because of various reasons that I wasn't able to articulate. And then going on the internet and finding out that those people were not well-liked, you know, by adults usually is because of um, realism sort of taking a, yeah. a, a privilege, which is funny to think about in the context of, like, a superhero thing where people are punching each other. It's like, we want realism uh, in these spaces. <laughs> and, and, and the sort of politicized nature of this stuff, it kind of gets back to what Amelia was saying about, um, you know, being like, can you not like the Jesus painting? And then, and what you were saying too, it reminds me of um, John Berger's work and the sort of idea that um, there's kind of a bogus religiosity of uh, that that gets built into our experiences with art. That like we are conditioned to to sort of treat it reverentially or or treat it in certain ways if we're not aware of the fact that like these are all very subjective. Mm-hmm. constructed surroundings that we could we could sort of negotiate and and, and disagree with and and things like that so so those early museum experiences i think are really uh interesting too and in, in how we how we react um in, in them and um and i mean this is making me think too about like what like it's kind of like your your exhibit is like an intervention of sorts maybe um or or it could be read as one where it's so i'm, I'm curious as to like what your, your experiences in spaces where there's kind of like artistic evaluation happening like, like that's one of the goals whether it's in a classroom where someone's like hey what did you think of this book or or poem or in a museum space where it's like okay here's the label here's the context here's the thing and no talking <laughs> like, you know and, and let's all like appreciate it like are you are you responding to to experiences in those spaces or do you find that um, these fields are, are sort of already acting and thinking proactively about this stuff and, and trying to create different experiences. I think the, the classroom space is interesting to me. And I think also if I think about the ways in which people kind of learn to draw or learn to create things, I mean, for me, and I don't know much about other people's classroom experiences, we, we were shown a thing and then we recreated it. And that was basically how art education happened up until probably high school and then I mean we even had this um this sort of the only art class we had was like once a month we would look at an artist's piece like a famous artist often like Van Gogh or Matisse or something like that and then basically recreate it and they would give us the exact colors you needed the exact like template you needed and you just made it again um and so and obviously then there's a very clear metric on who succeeds it's whoever looks the most like the one you're trying to replicate and even with pottery we had a thing that we were replicating and and yours was good if it looked like the thing you were replicating and so I think that that is like the super clear point in my mind where um I think it began for me just because like from the get-go it was like can you recreate the thing you're looking at um or even like if it's not that if it's even in a more relaxed space like color by numbers or even like color books it's like 
you know, there's a very, um, very specific task set out for you and there's very specific limitations on what um, you're contributing. Yeah, one of the early, actually um, at the conference, one of the early recommendations was to have um, like a paint by numbers class but like not provide the right paints mm. and like just immediately frustrate like the expectations and the demands of the task mm. so that like you yeah. can't do that you like yeah, can't yeah. do the little like the replicating thing and instead have to like you know kind of going back to like doing in discomfort and like doing something that's slightly outside of the box i think it's paint by numbers is so interesting because the idea is we can give you all the tools to do it and it totally devalues like the did you guys mm. get any paint by numbers kind of things for kids? Not that no. I was aware of. I don't think we did. No. No. And I another thing I'm interested in is like the different mediums for mm. bad art. Mm -hmm. Because I think bad art's kind of cool right now. Thinking about like the room and then the James Franco. It's cartoon. always been cool. It's <laughs> always been cool. Yeah. Bad art. But like you think about in film, mm, like yeah. the room is considered just mm. one of the worst things about The disaster artist. The disaster mm. artist. Like, that's a thing paint by numbers. So I'm wondering, you know, how do you view that art beyond just, like, a visual painting or a piece of art? Mm -hmm. Like, multimedia bad art? Mm. We had one multimedia submission. Mm -hmm. It was a video, a music video. It was fabulous. Um, actually, we had two, if you count. There one, another piece was uh, a visual piece, but it incorporated a sound element. And yeah, yeah, and you <laughs> in the background. Um, <laughs> only time. We stuck in our head for weeks. Long loop, I know. Uh, Sorry, Enya. Right. You have a lot of money. Can we have you. Enya like fade in and out during this? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure she would approve that. Yeah, sign away the copyright. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Enya. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean the fact that there was so much, um, there were all these different media represented within the exhibit was really exciting to show that you can make uh, bad art in all these different ways. But I think, I mean, there were sort of ironic elements that I think speak to like things. I'd never thought of a browser artist, but um, but I think speak to those kind of ideas. But um, beyond sort of the irony, there is something genuine about making that art. Like even if you did it ironically, like you still made art together. And I think that's a really exciting thing that we mm -hmm. wanted to celebrate and explore. Yeah. Like, how can we get people to like sketch? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think also the the making of irony is worth examining on its own. Like if if that's the I think if, if that's the way you, the route you take to get to making bad art, I mean, thinking about that is worthwhile also, um, about why we feel like bad art needs to move in irony mm. um, when it is made. Yeah, so <laughs> can you unpack why the role of irony in creating bad art? I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, if you're coming at an, a place specifically to make bad art, um, where we're meant to quote-unquote linger in discomfort um, and you can only approach such a place through irony or if that's your sort of um, the thing you revert to automatically I think that is really interesting um, I mean there's and I would hope that for myself I don't need to do that or I don't do it but I don't know yeah I mean I think I'm just sort of in favor of whatever helps people make yeah, art I think it's course. useful <laughs> um, and I really appreciate it yeah, like all the different kinds of submissions, some of which were incredibly ironic, some of them. I mean, they all had sort of the self-aware element where, like, 
he had a call for bad art. Yeah. There was no trickery involved. Everyone knew what they were signing up for. It was always by the artist. I had some people that were like, oh, my kids made a lot of stuff. I was like, I don't want your kids' art for you to call it bad art. But, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of, I mean, people, you know, selected their childhood works. They selected, um, you know, stuff that they knew previously. We got a self-portrait from mm. someone from freshman year that just, like, she, she didn't have the original copy, so she took a picture of it, and we printed out the picture of the portrait. <laughs> so it was, like, very blurry. So, That's like, great. there's definitely irony wrapped up in that, but still, like, um... What was your curatorial process for selecting So we, we had everything that we, um, everything that was submitted went up on the walls or on the floor, yeah. wherever it was. Basically, <laughs> if you contacted us um, and submitted something then we put it up yeah and we made I mean we really I think got everything that was submitted we made an effort to get the video the the music the little sculptures everything yeah yeah it's a very inclusive job (laughs) I know I know and so in our academic building the first floor has um, a gallery space Mm. which is where um, y'all exhibited that art and then on the third floor, it's graduate student study spaces. And last time I was up there, there was some bad art station. Um, is is it ongoing? Are you collecting submissions? No, that's just the artists haven't picked up their work yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was feeling very inspired. Oh, you could I was be ready. Inspired. Yeah. I mean, so we have, yeah, people can still pick up what we have done. I don't even yeah. know. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have all the sort of remains of the show. But we also have cards that have the names of the artists on it and a little description. And pencils. Yeah, and pencils that say bad art. Please take so, a pencil. Yeah. I, I will say, of all the gallery labs, and all of them were fabulous, <laughs> but you guys had very good swag. Oh, swag. We had quite letters, a few bad so. art pencils. Yes. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were very proud of the final letters. Yeah. Have anything else you want to add or final process mm. reflection after you know having that reflection wise? It was a really nice crowd of people. I was mm. like, honestly, I think a really good mix of undergrads, graduate students, staff, mm-hmm. faculty. Everyone showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone from those groups also submitted work. Um, yeah, it was just a really nice atmosphere, and I felt like it was super welcoming. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, everyone who came, I think, ended up having fun. I would hope. I think <laughs> they all look like they were having fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think so. And like um, the participation impressed me. Just that, yeah, people were coming from all different um, sort of areas within the university, but also that. Um, people like sketched the dogs and when they at the show opening they like sketched yeah, from the works totally. um, and it was really cool to see that kind of engagement that I think again the sort of rubric of bad art offered them this sort of yeah like safety blanket or a sort of invitation to make something I don't know that other people like sketch from the works yeah without that kind of uh, disclaimer and you all were also very intentional about setting up a space where that was a comfortable thing to do Mm-hmm. Because as someone who is not an artist mm-hmm. um, and who very much felt crippled by, like, the bad art, um, not being able to do what my art teacher told me to do in fifth grade, mm-hmm. 
I walked into that gallery space and was put forward, and I was like, oh, this is, like, comfortable. Mm. I, I'm not afraid to try to replicate something here, mm. to just draw something here. So can you talk a little bit about kind of setting up that space and intention yeah. behind, like, trying to get audiences to participate? People were amenable. I was surprised. Yeah. Um, we had the pencils that said bad art in them, and then we also had charcoal, and people were excited to kind of try out the charcoal. Um, yeah, everyone seemed super willing. Um, and, I mean, if they didn't want to, they didn't have to. It wasn't – Yeah. But <laughs> I didn't feel like anyone really was resisting. Um, and also everyone – I thought what was surprising people were also willing to put their stuff on the wall because we had mm-hmm. two billboard or big bulletin boards. Mm-hmm. Um for the dog drawings and then for the drawings that became them during the opening. And most people put up their dog drawings, but also most people put up their drawings in the beginning. So people were, yeah, I think felt comfortable to share, yeah. which was really great. Yeah, and I think it's also our own sort of performance of, like, non-mastery. Yeah. That, like, I don't need to draw a dog. So, like, I would draw some squiggles and put it up, and I think that yeah. people were like, oh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> I can do a squiggle. <laughs> um, so I think that, that definitely helps of sort of setting that tone. Yeah, it's kind of that, like, humility. Yeah. Which is not often something you find curators bring into, like, an art gallery space. Yeah. Which is really impressive for me to witness, but not for others. Yeah. I mean, I think we also sort of figured out what we were doing um, from a lot of the, the other people doing the gallery lab. The, yeah. the monument uh, group had done this really cool thing with magnets and, like, lent us their mm. magnets. So I feel like there was already that sort of spirit of, like, com- like collegiality and like sharing of like how do we do like a pop-up exhibit so I think something about like the gallery lab in particular can Mm. be part of that sort of change so what I'm hearing is uh public humanities students should just run gallery lab all the time yeah (laughs) it creates like a really comfortable (laughs) environment yeah in in gallery space yeah and you learn a lot from each other like I think that's really cool yeah (laughs) should we just say bye yeah is that a thing together yeah okay bye bye (laughs) <laughs> cool. It's a thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a thing. It's a thing. It's a it's a podcast. Thanks for listening to Public Work. You can find us on Twitter at Public Work Pod or email us at publicworkpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.